hear the word brought to us today by the lectionary. It comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. As people of the resurrection, please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, what is the connection between last week's sermon, this week's sermon, this month about baptism, and a book that had an, a single drop of water, a baptismal font? Well, if you remember, we are discussing um, and learning together about baptism, and what does it mean uh, to be baptized? What does it look like? Why do we do it? Last week, we learned that baptism is being a part of a family, of God's family. When we are baptized, it is like saying, um, you were already my father, but now I know I am your child. And we are baptized into this family together. But there was, uh, there's so much um, theology and richness in what we believe in baptism, I couldn't squeeze it all together in a 20-minute sermon. I could have gone longer, but then we would have been late for lunch, and we wouldn't want to do that. That's the cardinal sin of preaching. Don't make anybody late for lunch. But I did want to touch on um, what Carol was reading about this grandmother who said, I loved you before you were born. In the United Methodist Church, we believe in something called prevenient grace. That prefix pre means before. Now, if you remember the book that Carol read, it was a grandmother thinking of her grandchild who was going to be born. And the grandmother said, I loved you before you were born. I loved you uh, before you were brought home. I loved you before, before, before. And that is what we believe in baptism. We believe that God loved us before we were born. God, we believe that God forgave us before we sinned. And God makes us his children before we can even articulate or proclaim with our lips and our voice what that means. Prevenient grace. And by the act of baptism, we claim that. It is already a truth, 
being baptized or not does not make that truth um, disappear or invalid. It is a truth that God loves you, already loves you, before you were born. But in the act of baptism, we claim it. So last week we talked about being um, baptized into God's family, claiming um, our, our family uh, as a church and claiming that God is our father and we are God's children. Then what? So the first week we were here, we talked about uh, baptism is believing in Jesus, believing that he died for our sins, believing that he came to bring light in the darkness, to heal the sick and cure the wounded. We believe, and we claim that in our baptism. Last week, um, we uh, believe that God loves us and we are his children and we claim uh, being part of the family. And today, we're gonna talk about and learn about becoming a disciple, baptism, um, and becoming a disciple. So the scripture this morning was uh, the calling of um, one, two, three, I think four disciples. And you may be thinking, well, I see some water there. They were fishing, but I still don't see baptism. In this season of um, epiphany and the season that leads right up to um, Lent, uh, I, I know we just got past Christmas. It's hard to even think about Lent, but it's fast coming this year. Um, but we learn about the calling of the disciples. And we have to remember that um, it's not just these characters in the Bible, these people of history, it's our calling too. So where and how do we hear that calling? And that calling is lived um, when we are baptized, we say we are going to proclaim and live out that love and that identity because being a disciple is very much wrapped up into what it means to be baptized. Now, baptism alone, the ritual of the water, does not make a disciple. Marinate on that for a minute. The act of the water and the prayer does not magically make you into a disciple. It's a beginning place. It's a starting point. You have to own it. Just like you have to own your identity, you have to own this calling to be a disciple. And during the baptism, we invoke the Holy Spirit and we say, the Holy Spirit work within you that having been born through water and the spirit, you may live as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. So it is it's just like an initiation, it's a starting point for some. For others, it's a confirmation of their discipleship. But baptism alone, the act and the ritual does not make a disciple. There's something that is put upon you and um, encouraged by the Holy Spirit to live out the meaning behind those waters. Now, I remember when I first came to Buncombe Street and I was getting the tour, and in the, um, we're known for a basketball. I was walking around the basketball court, uh, Drake Hall, and it has our um, mission statement, the church mission statement. Does anybody know it can call it off from memory? To be and make disciples, simple, to be and make disciples. Uh, and, and that's what a mission statement should be, short, clear, concise, memorable, recitable. But I stood there looking at the mural, to be and to make disciples, and I was, 
It's like it's missing something. And it was missing something because, uh, you know, local churches were allowed to make our own mission statements, but it it grew, um, or rather it was a part of the United Methodist mission statement, which is to be and make disciples for the transformation of the world. I'm just like, that's what's missing, for the transformation of the world. Because as I looked at that, I was like, you know, I don't think it's enough to just be disciples. It's not quite enough to be, but we have to understand why, what motivates us. And we can take a look at what those first disciples looked like. James and John, they were fishing. They were fishermen, uh, salt of the earth kind of people, uh, people blue collar, working with their hands, mending nets and catching fish. James and John, son of Zebedee. But do you know what their nickname was? the sons of thunder. Isn't that pretty cool? One of the lectionary podcasts I was listening to, they said, that doesn't sound like disciples of Jesus. That sounds like a uh, WWF wrestling team name, the sons of thunder. And the reason they're called uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, is because they had a temper. Uh, A city had turned them away, didn't want to host Jesus and the disciples, and so they said, bring down thunder and and wipe out this town. That's what a disciple does. It's not enough to be and call yourself a disciple. It's something more, right? Also in this grouping, we learn about Peter. Oh, we we love Peter. He's all throughout uh, probably the most... um, well-known disciple in the Gospels, but do you know why he's the most well-known? Because he gets it wrong so many times, right? Uh, we, we are all Peter in a lot of ways, but uh, when Jesus said that the Son of Man had to suffer, he jumped in and says, no, heavens no, the Son of Man will not suffer, and Jesus said, you got it wrong there, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And even uh, when Jesus died and was resurrected, um, he found them returning back to their fishermen ways. They, they made mistakes a lot, thank goodness, because whew, that gives me a, a little bit of um, relief from guilt that sometimes I don't make um, everything perfect. But to be, in, to be disciples looks a little bit like the, the rough, tanned sons of thunder. To be a disciple sometimes looks like Peter, who more often than not gets it wrong, who um, gets so worked up that he would cut off a soldier's ear, you know, do you remember that part in the garden? He, he gets it wrong a lot. To be a disciple um, means doubting, like Thomas. So it's not enough to just be a disciple, but we have to be disciples for the transformation of the world. And that's a hard thing to do. What does that even look like? How do we do that? Now, we, we can go into all the little ways that we can be disciples. These are the Sunday school answers. Go to church, read the Bible, pray. But somehow those, those, those fall short just a little bit about what it actually means. Um, one of my favorite um, leadership authors is Simon Sinek, and he did a, a TED Talk and he wrote a book um, about why. 
What is the why? To talk about things as in what are we going to do and how do we do it, the mechanics of things, whether it's running a business or trying to be a disciple, those are actually easy, but they don't mean much unless you know the why. The why informs you in your decisions and how you do things and uh, what you are to do and when you do them. But you've got to understand your why, what pushes and motivates and initiates you into doing that thing. So what is it in our baptism and in our calling as disciples of Jesus Christ pulls us into discipleship to transform the world? What does that look like? What does it look like? Not for me. It's, it's different because I'm, this is, my calling as a disciple is my profession. I do it every day. But what does it look like for you to be a disciple that transforms the world? I think it's an interesting metaphor that Jesus calls his disciples and say, come, I will make you fishers of men. And it's a metaphor that somehow we have accepted and we, we know, oh, that means be disciples. And there are many, many sermons and, and uh, lectionary uh, resources that, and, and sermon examples and sermon illustrations that say, okay, if you want to preach about the fi being fishers of men, you got to talk about actually fishing and fishing line and when to go fishing and, and what time and really digging into the, to the uh, details of the metaphor. I think we can get quite lost digging into what it means to be fishers of men. I do not like fishing. I'm, I'm too impatient for it. <laughs> if I don't catch a fish in the next five minutes, just forget it so you know that I'm pretty bad at it. And you know, I was one that took being fishers of men um, at face value and knew that that meant disciples, but it really struck me how very strange this metaphor is. When um, at my first church, I was in charge of the fall festival and being in charge of the fall festival and the, and the costume contest, you don't have a lot of time to really put on a costume and makeup and whatever, so that was very, uh, quick, easy costumes that I could put on. And um, I kind of like a good turn of phrase, a pun, a uh, metaphor. So one fall festival, I dressed up as a fisher of men. This is a fall festival at a church. I thought it'd be picked up right away. It was not. It, I will not return to that costume idea, but I wore rain boots and I wore a tactical vest with little fish hooks. I don't know what I was doing, I don't fish, but I tried to look the part as a costume. And I even carried a fishing pole. And at the end of the fishing pole, I had little paper cutouts of um, men and women in different colors and had them hanging on my fishing pole. And everybody was just like, what on earth are you dressed as? I was like, a fisher of men. No? Ugh. So don't dress up as a fisher of men. <laughs> Is the, is the point of that story. But it is a very peculiar thing to say, uh, come with me and I will make you a fisher of men. And take for a moment to think, what would that metaphor be in your life? Come, follow me, I will make you a potter of people. Come, follow me, I will make you a professor of people. I'm not sure. So I didn't want to dig into the details of, of, of that uh, metaphor. I want us to really get to the heart of what it means to, to be a disciple in a way that pulls us like a gravitational pull to make other disciples 
to transform the world. One of my favorite resources is um, from David Luce, and I'm just going to read what he wrote, if you don't mind. And he talks about um, how many lay people have difficulty naming their calling, because sometimes we think calling means profession. And it is not necessarily so. We are all called to be disciples and to make disciples for the transformation of the world. He said he discovered that most um, lay people, uh, parishioners, um, very few of them believed that what they did with most of their time, whether it was their career or their daily life, believed that what they did with most of their time mattered to God and the church or made a particular difference in the world. I'm not sure how many of us realize this. Perhaps it's because we have the luxury of working in an occupation where our faith, work, family, and other dimensions all come together. We may even wonder if we are called. Not that ministry is a calling, but if we are called. Many of our people, however, have a hard time seeing a direct connection between what they do, whether it's being a fisherman, a professor, a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom. Many of our people have a hard time seeing a direct connection between what they do and what they believe, which is why they don't feel called. But I've been wondering whether the problem is the way I've just constructed the last sentence, focusing on the connection between what they do and what they believe. Maybe that is calling is less about what we do than who we are. Think about it for a moment. God's call isn't simply to do something, but rather to be something, a child of God. Maybe being comes before doing. Maybe being even makes doing possible. And I love that, that very uh, subtle um, change in perspective. Instead of focusing on what do I do in my daily living, what do I do as a disciple, but why do we do it? And who are we that allows us to do it? And who are you? We are a child of God. We are loved before we were born. We are loved before we sinned. We are forgiven before we even sin or, or confess our sin. God loves us. Who are you? You are loved. And if you really believe that and know that you are loved and forgiven by God, and you claim that in your baptism and in your heart, you are able to be a disciple simply by being a child of God. And everything you do, even if you're not consciously thinking about it, everything you do can be a witness to that love. Now Christmas wasn't all that long ago and those in the chancel area always have the best seats. It's because we start the candle and we get to watch it. And I think of what God's love is, is represented in that little candle. It starts with Jesus, and you light your own candle, and it illuminates your face, and you very naturally turn to your neighbor, and they light it, and they light it, and on and on until the room grows with this great, warm light. Now think if that light of Jesus, a light in the darkness, 
a fountain to those who are thirsty. I'm referring back to our Psalter. Imagine if that light was the knowledge and truth that we are children of God, deeply loved, forgiven, and blessed. And we radiate that. And so that when we are near people, they feel something about you. Why are you so happy? Why are you so peaceful? I want what you got. And it radiates to the next person and the next person so that everything you do, even if it's checking out at the grocery store and you do it with God's light, you are being a disciple and your kindness helps transform the world. It's easy to talk about what it looks like to be a disciple and how to make disciples, but one thing that I hope that we can take and especially taken to this week, is to really find within ourselves that light and that memory that says, I am a child of God. And that changes everything about what I say and do and think. And it hopefully will prepare us all, this whole month leading up to preparing us to remember our baptism and reaffirm it together next week. We'll have the baptismal font pulled front and center and put on the floor and each of us will have the opportunity to uh, reaffirm our vows, reaffirm that uh, we are children of God, reaffirm that we believe in Jesus, reaffirm that we are called to be disciples to transform the world and seal it again, um, not by rebaptism. Um, but come and reaffirm um, all of those truths next week. So I ask that you take that with you uh, and, and recall that you are indeed deeply loved. To hold it in your heart and let it radiate. And together as a family, we will uh, reaffirm it next week. Let us pray. Lord God, we are grateful that, that there is prevenient grace that comes before us, that guides our footsteps, even before we were born, before we even made an attempt to be a disciple, you were already there ahead of us, guiding us, encouraging us, forgiving us, and loving us throughout the process. Lord God, we ask that... Um, this week particularly, as we um, prepare to reaffirm our baptismal vows next week, we ask that your spirit um, grow within us and cast um, a light through us in the world of uh, darkness and sin. Help us to be and to live as your children and help us to reflect that love so that others may also know that they are loved, forgiven, chosen and blessed as your as your children in this world in Christ's name we pray amen